You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a platform that we've created to bring the Nordic community together. My name is Paul Hackett, and I'm your host. Wonderful. Right. So this is the Evolution Exchange podcast where we're going to be discussing uh, infrastructure as code. Uh, So we'll start off uh, with a round of introductions. Bastian, would you like to begin? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Bastian Töpfer. I'm a solution architect with AWS, uh, focusing on customers in the telco industry. Maybe one word about uh, w- what my other passions are, except for my regular work, I uh, tech passions. I love electronics, sensors, microcontrollers, and 3D designs. That even led to me creating like a full-blown 3D scan at some point as a little bit of a private little project with 120 cameras. So I'm really passionate about that <laughs> kind of stuff. Infrastructure as code is something I loved always, but I thought it was kind of like the an, an essential. So that's me. Thank Wonderful. you. Okay. Yeah, thanks uh, first and foremost for uh, letting me join in on this podcast. I'm Erkan Diaffer. Currently, I work as a senior solutions engineer with uh, HashiCorp. And HashiCorp is the company behind numerous products, uh, which most people don't know the association behind. But my background is actually in security. So I've sort of landed into the DevOps field for about a year ago. So thank you so much for letting me join in. Fantastic. Uh, Niklas? Uh, hello, uh, my name is Niklas Rufenknaus. I'm a uh, DevOps and Cloud Engineering Consultant um, in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, and um, um, I, I work for uh, companies uh, on assignments and um, I write code. Uh, I write infrastructure as code or sometimes perhaps code as infrastructure. Um, and I've been involved with this for a number of years. And uh, sometimes we jokingly call it that we are jungle engineers. Uh, you heard this. <laughs> and uh, uh, yes, I'm having fun uh, uh, doing it. Fantastic. Frederick? Yeah, my name is uh, Frederick Ögren, and I am the director of platforms and infrastructure for the Betson Group, who is an iGaming company. But uh, just been there for a couple of years or two years now, and, and previously I spent like 30 years in the media industry working with all of these types of multi-cloud environments where, of course, in the end, infrastructure as code became something like a, a necessary thing to to uh, have and uh, yeah i'm really looking forward for the topic because as i said we can talk about this all day probably <laughs> yeah <laughs> right wonderful thank you all so much for uh, taking the time as well uh, to get involved much appreciated uh so bastian would you like to uh, kick it off with uh, your question very uh, topical for the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean it, it it kind of came from a conversation that you and i had prior to this that you said that uh, uh, infrastructure's code is so interesting right now because uh, there's a lot of ask for people with these kind of skills right there's a lot mm-hmm. of ask for people with cloud formation terraform skills uh, in the market right now and uh, so I, the question is like, then why is infrastructure's code uh, adoption accelerating right now? And uh, I think it's rather simple, really. I mean, as a short answer, and then we can dive deep into that with the, with the rest of the group here. I think it has very much to do with that infrastructure's code is something that is essential. That is something that is required to really drive business agility with the cloud. The cloud is something that provide that, that helps um, customers, our customers to achieve better business agility, getting, get, getting stuff done with speed and quality and infrastructure as code is the thing that can help because it's there to you know, provide this consistent, repeatable routines for providing the machinery that you need uh, for, 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 for the products uh, for your business. Uh, so, it's it's that thing on one hand that they go hand in hand, and then the other thing is well, cloud adoption has been accelerating dramatically now during the pandemic. Uh, just like our uh, AWS CEO Andy Justice said recently that while uh, it's a period that none of us would wish on anybody uh, or we ever want to repeat, it has accelerated the cloud a few years. That's what he said. So uh, that's kind of my, uh, my, my my calculation here is really just okay. Uh, Cloud adoption goes up, infrastructure as code works well with that. Well, that's why. Mm. Fantastic. Erkan, uh, would you like to you know, start off with this one? And uh, guys, just feel free to jump in as well if you've got any uh, comments to make. Yeah, I'm just you know thinking about the discussions of infrastructure as code in general. I was just so curious on 
how this thing ever would have played out without infrastructure as a code. Mm-hmm. I don't think the public cloud transformation or the journey towards public cloud and managing those resources with code, um, you know, it, it wouldn't work. It is to my personal opinion. What would you say? Um, like, I don't, I don't think it would make sense, at least not long-term. I mean, just working out of a graphical user interface exposes so many challenges that are not repeatable and automatable mm-hmm. in today's ever-growing landscape, I guess. I think from Bastian's introduction, that's that's what I'm thinking about. Infrastructure as a code is a, is a necessity today. But yeah, I, I agree. But then again, we managed to do sort of these things prior to, to the, the tool sets that we have today, but it was cumbersome. It was still that you needed to, you know, you needed to have version control of your configuration somehow and somewhere. But of course, with with the um, infrastructure's code, we can actually push it directly to all different platforms that needs it. But it's not only cloud. I mean, you can see that nowadays all, uh, I mean, network appliances and all of that stuff can can uh, can interact with with these types of protocols. So we. I mean, we could manage without it, but but not just just so far. Where we are right now with the adoption of, if you're going multi-cloud and you have several suppliers and you have this and that and you have on-prem and you have other stuff, at one point you need to have one common thing that unifies the way you work. And that's where I would say that infrastructure is really where, where we came to in the end. But of course, as I said, you could do it before, but it was just a hassle of keeping track of configurations from one thing to another. Yeah, and I, I think Niklas mentioned uh, in prior mail threads something about immutability and, and the, mm. the evolution of not only upgrading and maintaining current environments, but destroying and recreating. Mm. And, and the, the evolvement from traditional environments where you would purchase a server or certain set of devices and try to keep those maintained to just being able to destroy and recreate new resources is also something that was not there before because with the availability of computing today, it's incredibly easy to just have immutable infrastructures, I guess. It goes along an old principle, which you might have heard of it called separation of concerns. uh, where we have the, the, the infrastructure uh, as one responsibility and uh, often the uh, company m- uh, will have product teams or application teams um, that are specialized in solving uh, a domain-specific problem with, with a product or an application and they just want infrastructure and platform to to, uh, to be stable and, and alive around them and uh, they are so specialized that uh, many times they don't want to learn something new and therefore uh, I've been part of uh, a newly specialized infrastructure engineering teams in uh, organizations uh, who are not part of applications team and we give support to uh, specialized product teams and applications teams. So would you say your uh, biggest challenge has been has been to maintain that balance between immutability and mutable environments and making sure that those align because I guess it's sort of like a little bit like the electric vehicle evolution where, you know, you still have your uh, gas and diesel vehicles and then you have your electric vehicles. But I don't think any any one of those can replace the other one just yet. There needs to be some interoperability between immutable and non-immutable infrastructure as to the way as infrastructure as a code works, because you know, you have your data layer in any infrastructure environment today that many times requires mutability because the data is usually stored within the same instance of sorts. But then you have your regular uh, maybe web server instances or other type of environments requiring immutability for the purpose of automation and being able to make sure that the environment is correct. Yeah, and I think that, that you hit the uh, nail on the head here. I mean, I think it's it's all about uh, getting those different pieces away, right? Decouple infrastructure from application and state. 
once you do that, the whole immutability is a simpler thing, at least for some, uh, for, for a lot of the areas there, right? I mean, it's just your if you have an uh, if you have an application that is independent of storage, uh, if you have this immutable application, then it's uh, all of a sudden infrastructure code becomes easy, scaling becomes easy. Um, changing the underlying performance um the performance uh, capabilities under under the hood right uh, uh right sizing the application um maybe you have provision too much uh, compute in the beginning you want to have less com compute maybe you want to even switch out complete uh Runtime engines, right? I mean, you may go from an from from an from a virtual machine an EC2 based um, compute to a container based compute. You could even switch that out as long as you 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 keep to this principle of keeping the application stateless. Uh, something I always like to like to reference in this case is like the twelve factor app rules, right? Uh, I don't know if you heard about, about them. It's probably a good idea to have them in the show notes. If you follow these guidelines, it, the whole thing with immutable software and infrastructure's code becomes much easier. Everything about application awareness and, and being agnostic to whatever it's running on is, again, yeah, you need to decouple the things to actually be able to utilize the full scope here. But I think one, I just want to, to circle back to your main um, uh, question here, Bastian, uh, that the pandemic have accelerated the adoption of infrastructure as code. Maybe you have statistics indicating that on, on, uh, on your platform. Um, but because I was thinking about one thing, I've seen uh, during the pandemic, we have had a, a really increase in the performance of how our developers have been working because they are not disturbed as much as they used to be in the office. Um, they have actually had much more focus and we have had lots of, of surveys sent out to, to indicate that uh, that would be the case actually. And there was other, another thing, I mean, we're a, an international company and, and we have had some challenges with, with people working in different countries. There are different ways of working and, and, and cultures and so on. But we actually saw that the pandemic unified us even more because everyone was a single island. Everyone was a at home and it might be that that things that unites us when we are most alone might be the things that also drives us forward so looking at, at it again infrastructure as code is actually um, sort of a common language for all that works with infrastructure to be able to work with the same way this the, with the same tools the same way i mean we have people working with firewalls and people setting up infrastructure people doing cdn layers all of a sudden there is a single tool or single way of working that actually unifies people. Yes. I yeah. love I love that. I think you you're absolutely spot on here. And I think the uh, the 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 other overloaded or overused term to throw in is here DevOps DevOpsSec, right? Because this is uh, these terms are usually uh, used for like left shifting, right? Left shifting responsibility. Often uh, in the industry where we see like ratios between developer, operations engineer, and security engineer, like a, a ten a uh, hundred ten one, right? So it kind of becomes essential that the tools that we're using, for example, infrastructure as code, gives us the ability to move this bits and pieces from secure from purely being in a security domain from purely being in an operations domain to development side so you empower the development side to take more responsibilities in here with the guided help of the um of the engineers of the of, of like the, the operations uh, engineers or the security engineers if that makes sense yeah i agree we're uh dangerously close to touching on the next subject i i i hear but uh, yes <laughs> that is of course but uh, uh just you know on on the fly here um um you working for betson i'm not sure how much you can discuss this but isn't there you know this this entire you know pandemic where's the world economy heading let us not purchase new gear type of mentality isn't that like the baseline of why public cloud has accelerated really isn't that like the main reason just like you know let's buy compute as we need it rather than making an upfront investment in these uncertain times okay so what i can <laughs> 
but I can say it's it's quite natural if you're if you're a if you're a company that have a, a global footprint that you need to be close to your end customers, uh, and and to do that you actually need to be there in some way or form, and instead of doing large upfront investments in certain areas, why don't you utilize what's already present and be flexible and fast because if there's something that this industry I'm operating in is it is being fast and flexible. So um, you need to be able to go somewhere. You need to be able to go away from that place if the market isn't strong enough. So why should we invest in, in our own infrastructure when we can utilize someone else? I mean, it's standing on the shoulders of giants. Mm. I mean, should we reinvent something? Yeah. Uh, and I think this is this this couple uh, goes rather nicely back into the discussion, uh, right? Uh, why has it accelerated? I mean, it, it, the pandemic maybe has just shown this even more clearly how much this can affect your business overnight, right? I mean, we have a lot of a lot of examples where maybe business has been slower during the time. You don't want to pay for the extra resources, but then we have uh, also seen other other in uh, other industries where it has accelerated. Uh, crazy like i mean i mean you have the example of zoom right zoom that went from uh 10 million to a 300 million user base in no time at all this is uh, without the cloud this is very difficult to achieve so uh it, it, it's 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 something that it, that that this this promise of there is capacity for you you don't have to worry about it, you don't have to upfront invest that is something that 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 is tremendously helping customers before the pandemic but the pandemic has just shown it even even more dramatically that this is important um what another thing that i think uh, is interesting that uh, maybe maybe you, you, uh, the the rest of you can uh, comment on that what about remote work how has that effect? How has that affected uh, your companies? <laughs> Should I start? Or Niklas start maybe? Yeah. Niklas yes, start. Uh, um, uh, um, yesterday, actually, um, I was following up a question I asked uh, uh, at a, um, a company meeting uh, last year. Uh, uh, what what the measures are of uh, productivity increasing or decreasing or or staying the same when teams uh, move remote and uh, um, I've heard uh, different sto stories I've heard people who, who that say that, that they want and like to work remote and people like me who miss the, uh, the office sometimes um, but I, I would be very interested to see uh, productivity measures uh, if they were in line with expectations or or which teams uh, were, were more uh, increased productivity going remote or uh, or actually uh, had problems uh, and, and uh, lost the productivity uh, going remote. Um, um, it, it, in my case, I, 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 my work is usually remote anyway because it's uh, it's a data center uh, in some other location in, in Ireland or something uh, so uh, uh even, even if i travel somewhere then uh, then i will make a remote update to, to our repository or uh, a cloud provider and then um um related to what we recently said about what the trend that uh, uh, the, the the increasing trend uh, um tell me if you agree that if uh, what we see uh, in infrastructure as code is it could be part of like two uh, a longer uh, general trends one which is that uh, uh, virtual and software uh, are becoming more and more used and more important uh, uh, mainly because uh, hardware has become uh, powerful and software can can do more on the uh, faster cycles so what can be done with software and virtualizations usually is, is done more effectively now and it's, it's and software is, is getting used more and more and becoming more and more, more important um, and, and also a second trend of specialization when companies uh, and, uh, and specialization uh, um, drives uh, is a drive of the of the economy more and more specialized businesses um, they they uh, are more than happy to outsource the specialization of uh, uh, having a data center or or physical uh, physical uh, security and and, uh, and a building with, uh, uh, with with servers to somewhere else they don't want to see it perhaps they're all remote and they don't even have an office building complete virtual uh, organizations uh, are uh, becoming more and more common, and, and it's, it will uh, uh, probably become uh, um, the normal way of, of work working. So, uh, and, and in that sense, I think uh, uh, infrastructure as code is uh, um, is a, a natural progression. All right, I'm gonna have to move us on to the uh, next question, Erkin. If you could start on with yours. 
Um, yeah, so I, I, I guess like a, a big natural um, development of the transition to um, public cloud infrastructure as a code exposes some challenges from a security point of perspective. You know, you have egresses with uh, maybe um, maybe routable um, in a non-suitable manner, vulnerabilities, application versions across multiple clouds, maybe, maybe across on-prem. Uh, how do you make sure that infrastructure as a code doesn't uh, impact security? And should anybody in the organization be allowed to write infrastructure as a code? And what's your takes on that? I want to hear your perspectives as to how to manage security and infrastructure as a, as a code. This is a hot topic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there are, of course, there are, of course um, special products that has features that can help you with this. But since, <laughs> since we shouldn't mention those on, on the show, uh, let's stick to the fact that, first of all, I think that uh, if you look at if you look at security and infrastructure as code, I would argue that you will get much higher security by adopting infrastructure as code. I agree. You eliminate human errors, mistakes, things that are left out, sort of all those stuff. Of course, um, I would also say that stick to best practices and, and, and follow follow what people have already set up. I mean, don't try to reinvent things to start with. Once you get once you get into it, you can start doing that. But um, the thing, as you asked, Erkan, uh, should everyone or should anybody be able to write infrastructure as code out of the security perspective? Well, first of all, I think they should if they if, if they know how to do things. But um, I've also come across where people start feeling a little bit afraid of doing things because it was it wasn't that easy to break something when you had a physical appliance where you changed the configuration. But with one line of code, I can totally destroy my whole global network. So of course, after a while, people also get afraid of doing mistakes when, when handling large uh, setups of this. So I think you should tackle them both in, in the same way. You should set up some kind of, of policies or routines in, in either modularizing or, or segmenting of things so you can feel safe in operating infrastructure as code at a certain level. And then at one level or one section of it, whatever you, where you feel I mean, comfortable yourself, you should break it off and say, you cannot go over this unless certain policies are met or, mm. uh, you know, double eyeball infection or whatever you would like to have. But I, I, I mean, it's not, only, first of all, as I said, security will be higher if implemented correct, but you need to make sure that you cannot do mistakes and, and so on. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I, I agree, but I would like I would like to add another analogy here. I mean, when we, we say infrastructure as code, right? Uh, code, application code. I mean, you. I mean, your, your, what you said is absolutely applicable. I think to application code as well, right? With one line of code, you can destroy a complete uh, a complete application, right? So I, I'm thinking. I mean, and so I don't. I do not disagree with you at all. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking it's just like one way to do that is use maybe similar practices from regular software development as well right and that uh, that means regular stuff like hey write unit tests test test your code test your infrastructure code uh, it also means uh, write infrastructure uh, uh, maybe integration tests it also means hey maybe there should be a staging environment if that's something that you do uh, and then uh, back to the comment I made earlier from shifting left the one thing that is special about dynamic infrastructure I would say is that maybe the focus needs to shift a little bit more from runtime security to build or design time security right so people do not have to be afraid as you as you pointed out to deploy something that may break everything they get support early on and that exactly like what you said maybe that needs to be policies that kind of a linter check what you're doing while you're doing it maybe it's something like a policy that checks what kind of things would be applied 
if you run this code uh, and maybe have some kind of, as you said maybe have a policy around that then yes this is good to go oh no you open up a security group to the world here no this will not get de get deployed right so that's what, what, what where, where, where where i see uh, see that you need to be doing that the uh, the other question uh, i can did you ask about should everybody i think absolutely yes everybody should but uh, you, I would also say, not everybody should apply their infrastructure as code from their laptops. That should be part of a centralized pipeline that then uh, that then can be put under guardrails, and uh, and then then, uh, then the whole thing becomes much easier. But uh, but uh, coming back, I think it's essential. Tra one of the essential things is training, training, training. Uh, show don't uh, show show don't tell. Uh, it, when when you show what's going on in the company, show uh, how you do it right from the get-go, have templates, have guidelines, that should get you a long way. Fantastic. Mm. I would love to get uh, Niklas' uh, view on this uh, with actual hands-on uh, infrastructure managing. Niklas, how do you see security interacting with yourself? Are you security when you are deploying infrastructure as a code? Because I mean, being secure to yourself requires a wide scope of knowledge, I guess. I mean, in, in many fields of, you know, it could be anything from DNS to TCP IP to vulnerabilities, et cetera. What's your, what's your viewpoint? Um, yes, uh, two relevant recent questions that have came up independently of each other in, in, in several organizations is that um, a security, um, um, a security vulnerability uh, may very well um, 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 appear by mistake. Someone erasing uh, um, uh, by mistake, uh, um, changing, uh, uh, making a deployment, and uh, uh, um, removing a certain uh, security uh, security rules. Of, uh, and uh, uh, therefore, it's been a discussion which resources should be uh, um, read only and their as, as base core resources for everyone and shared between uh, uh, different applications. And uh, in that uh, case, uh, it's beginning to look uh, like uh, something from the traditional software development named inheritance, where when you create any security resource, um, the teams would like to uh, inherit uh, a base security or a core security, which should be common uh, for, for, for all uh, um, uh, so, uh, for all services, so that you, you, you so that you cannot uh, make the mistake, create a new service which uh, doesn't have the base security, and also that that you you should not be able by mistake to remove the security rules from your own service. So, uh, is this achievable via pre-deployment uh, verification mechanism, so to say, or a combination of what Bastian talked about, like having a secure pipeline of work? Um, Yes, you can have you can have checks in in the pipeline actually checking what it does and uh, and alerts if someone accidentally opens a security group, uh, and also uh, um, um, well um, uh, depending on which exact solutions you use in, in in with Terraform you could use shared modules for example that uh, um, will will inject base uh, base core security to uh, uh, to every uh, resource uh, or with a um, 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 uh, object-oriented uh, um, infrastructure as code, such as a troposphere, or um, um, maybe if you tried something like Pulumi, uh, you could use you could use inheritance from uh, uh, object-oriented programming to uh, uh, inherit base security to to every service. Well, it's, it's, yeah, go, go ahead, Erkan. I was, I was going to say, for sure, security is a challenge, but uh, if infrastructure as a code uh, needs to work with um, security best practices, I think uh, you're both pretty spot on here. I think we need to have a vending machine type approach where when you are creating a resource, it already needs to have the fundamentals in place so that you can get the resource in place according to the best practice and just leverage the service without having to think about security. But this also creates big problems for organizations that are larger because silification might not be an issue when you are 10 people in an organization, mm. but when you are 10,000 in an organization, it immediately become more complex because 
Now you have the people that are managing security from a vulnerability perspective. You have those managing the security rules in another department. Then you have somebody managing DNS. And how do you make sure all of these organizational parts collaborate to form this vending machine? Mm-hmm. I think is a big, big, big challenge for many organizations switching to infrastructure as a code for sure. Absolutely. In that space, I guess uh, one of the important things is just to involve this. I mean, if you have those silos, and I guess the larger the company, the more likely it is, absolutely. Uh, Involving them as early as possible uh, is probably a good idea. Also to show, because I think with with infrastructures code, code, we actually have a huge advantage here right because we are auditable from the very beginning uh if you uh, if you if you just uh, make this slightly larger not only focus on infrastructure's code but also on the ci cd devops pipelines right uh, i think there is a good chance that uh, you can get those silos on board by showing what kind of evidence you can provide through your pipelines, through the monitoring that's involved, to to help them, to tell them, hey, we, we we instead of earlier you had to look at a snapshot once a month to get 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 a sign off. Hey, we can actually produce that on the fly. We can actually react automatically. We can involve you in here to adapt the rules that you that that we as a company should follow. That 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 I think is extremely powerful. Fantastic. It means sound like you've all made some uh, amazing points on that one. Are you uh, happy with the responses to that, Erkin, regarding the security? Well, uh, you know, you know, the thing about security is it's not a, a one and zero. It's usually a gray area. And mm. Most security is actually fundamentally problematic because of the way coding is created. This applies to all security, even networking security has its biggest flaws in how it's programmed by default. So that's usually where all the vulnerabilities and the sweet spots for attackers usually come in. So I think it's an incredibly relevant field. And I think, you know, just having all the bells and whistles of any cloud, just, you know, immediately being able to code your infrastructure to a desired state, building on top of that and changing it and, you know, making it is going to create a security gap that is going to be increasingly bigger for many organizations that are going to follow this journey. That's what, at least I believe, it's going to be the future. Mm. Oh, interesting points. Um, Nicholas, would you like to move on to your question and give some context around it as well? Uh, yes, uh, the context is that uh, since it's all virtual and uh, it's all software and it's all code, uh, then uh, in some situation, in situations uh, with engineers, we have been trying to communicate and uh, from one engineer to another, um, um, what, what is, how large is this uh, installation? How, how big is the system? Um, and uh, uh, we didn't know how to uh, put a number on it. Uh, so, uh, I mean, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, at the end, it's better to say that it's, uh, it's big data or it's massive data, but still you, you, it's always better to have a number and, you know, uh, lines of code is a bad measure of of how large a programming project is, but it's better than no measure. And then in some, and I was told you have to uh, you have to make this for all the EC2 instances. Uh, all the EC2. I mean, is it twenty five thousand or is it uh, or is it seven? It, it's a it's a lot. It's a big difference. And so, how, how should we count it? Number of resources, perhaps. I mean, the, the, the term resource is a quite general uh, uh, general term uh, in this case. Um, so, um, uh, what do you suggest? How, how can we, how can um, in this meeting? How can I tell you what which measures would you would you like to know if if I was trying to tell you that I have a, a medium sized uh, deployment? Hmm. I, w- I want to ask you what is what is the purpose of, of yes. the size discussion? <laughs> is there something has is it related to cost or license or is it used to talk about something in in perspective to to something else? Uh, well, uh, uh, um, how big the job is uh, to uh, to handle uh, um, uh, everything in this uh, in this project or service. Uh, so uh, sometimes uh, uh, big numbers uh, don't tell anything, and small numbers don't tell anything either. And sometimes you 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 understand that it's millions of uh, millions of dollars uh, uh, in, in income or number of users. 
and it's uh, one million requests every minute, but that minute is only uh, at night when when it uh, when something is uh, prime time. So uh, uh, there are so many measures, and perhaps uh, um, perhaps my conclusion is that uh, uh, it's always best to have more than just one measure. Yes, but I, I, I would also like to agree with uh, Fedik here that uh, I, I think, I mean, yes, there are lots of different measurements that you can take, lots of different metrics that you can use to find, uh, to, to, I mean, you could do that for inventory purposes. You could do that for cost purposes, spend purposes. You could do fancy stuff like, um, I don't know, uh, dollars per request, dollars per users, dollars per... I mean, there's lots of things that you can do, but I think in the end, you still need to ask yourself, why do you even care? Why do you, why do you ask this question? What's the purpose of that? Uh, and then there's a, a whole other aspect of that. Sci does, is size in dynamic infrastructure really measurable anyways? If, if you're talking about... Because I, I believe sometimes it, uh, your, your question was a little bit in the inventory direction. And uh, given that dynamic infrastructure, okay, the cloud is selling on elasticity, it's very difficult to say that, right? Because it could scale up, it could scale down. You don't have to actually have a number to say this is how it is. You have a snapshot maybe that you can produce. Does that make sense? But I, I personally love this question, and I mm -hmm. don't think there has to be a why to this question. It's uh, I think it's if I understand the question correctly, it feels like a philosophical question. Like if you were able to visualize how many racks that are being used in a public cloud when you're spinning up a service, or how many blips on a you know device placed on a you know location somewhere very secured. How much that, that's does your interesting analogy, analogy? Very interesting analogy. That how, how what would this uh, infrastructure called be if it if it were a data center for real physically? Yeah, definitely. And I, I I mean theoretically, I guess like if you were to map out an entire data center and expose the huge API for all of these devices, I don't know, it would probably not be a secure best practice, but let's say a read-only API for the purpose of a philosophical grand vision that exposed usage for each and every single server in a huge data center. Maybe you could you know, draw out some sort of visualization, including all of the dependencies mapped out to how that size would look from a data center perspective. And uh, maybe you know you could have a central way of for all of those services communicating cost as well. I don't think these are technologically impossible things today, but I think it's a very um, interesting thought to uh, thought to entertain at least mm -hmm. because nobody really knows how big how big is everything that we're really working on. And yeah, but I have, I mean, yeah, of course, it's uh, it would be interesting to, to map everything used to see the share size of it, perhaps. But I think an, an interesting metric would be, um, you know, efficiency or or uh, how well you use all the resources that you have actually um, applied for in, in your infrastructure's code setup. Because it's super easy to set up a lot of, of, of things, right? But how well do you utilize them? Uh, so I think that would be a better measure because, as said, uh, it's a snapshot. In 10 in the morning, I have no customers, but 10 in the evening, I have a billion customers. So at that point, it's very, it needs to be uh, spun up in a, in a large instance. So the question is, how efficient is efficient and how much overhead do I have? Because this is really, if we're going to talk about elasticity and, um, and, and cloud usability and all of that stuff, the thing that we get nowadays is that we don't buy 10 servers that can handle the maximum peak I had last year. I buy exactly what I'm going to use today, uh, 10 in the morning or 10 in the evening. So the utilization of that, I think, would be the, the best, for me at least, that would be the best method. Mm -hmm. Because that also relates back to, to cost, and it would also relate to my actual infrastructure, because I needed 1 million servers in the evening, but in the morning I needed two. So. I think that would be my metric to look for. I think it's interesting for sure. Sustainability would probably be a part of what you're saying as well, right, Frederick? Like how sustainable are 
or is our cloud consumption? Mm-hmm. I think one of my early encounters with um, with a public cloud user from an enterprise perspective here in Sweden with a uh, Swedish organization at the time, uh, we discussed a little bit about the early challenges. And uh, the person I talked with at the time said, you know, our biggest problem is not to be efficient with this. It's just that once we spun up things, we don't really know what goes to waste or not, because many of these services that are spun up are never brought down. And maybe this was some of the challenges prior to infrastructure as a code, but many of these environments probably still live today. And people are probably still very afraid of removing those today because they have absolutely no idea how that's going to affect applications in a large organization, I guess. I totally agree. To uh, to increase performance or increase capacity, that's what we do all day. So I was almost laughing when you said, I mean, the, the flexibility of everything, it goes up and it goes down. No, if you would ask my finance, they would say, yeah, it only grows. For the <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's where you are, because uh, once you, uh, whatever threshold you have, once you pass it and you increase capacity, it's very tough to go back because in today's society, we also consume more of everything, more bandwidth, more of this, more data, more storage, more log files, everything is just more, more, more. So it's very few parts of the system that, that have also the flexibility of scaling down. But uh, if you have those kinds of systems, you should really look at the threshold for falling back again. Um, and I would say that the, 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 um, the best systems that we have found so far for that is when you run something like uh, Kubernetes containers or something in the container cluster, because those are very low overhead and, and you can spin, spin up very many containers until you hit that threshold where you set up another node in your cluster. And then you can live for a while and then you can easily go down again because containers can can do that in a good way. So yes. I, would, I would say that that's the best use case really for scaling down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, s- s- scaling down is. Uh, I-, I would I would add to that that sometimes I mean uh, things happen all the time, right? And uh, s- scaling down may also just mean well maybe fresh start, right? Maybe there's maybe there's something new in the in the in the in the for example instance types that you can choose nowadays that provide you with more performance, lower cost, for example, right? And that's another good use case of having uh, like this this inventory, know what you're using, know your utilization. And then just exchange the stuff under the hood with uh, with, with better performance, lower priced uh, resources, for example. That could be one way of 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 the uh, what you described as something only going up to 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 <laughs> to help uh, mitigate that somewhat at least. Maybe also, you know, many uh, many people working with infrastructure usually aims to achieve a goal of just spinning up a service and making that work, but. Rarely, I believe, somebody just stops and thinks about what does this cost long term? How does this impact my department? Or it's usually ending up with finance. But I think the vast majority of the public cloud providers today provide APIs that have cost estimation prior to deployment. And these APIs can definitely be used. You know, there is some pre-made technologies that can show you cost estimation from an infrastructure of code perspective. But I think these APIs should be more and more crucially leveraged in order to bring some responsibility of cost to the infrastructure teams directly, I guess. Because if there is no responsibility of cost, it's just going to be an ever-growing spinning up of fun things all the time. That is uh, interesting. Are, are, are you suggesting? Are you suggesting um, like a, a design time, uh, design time dollar tag on 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 resources that you will spin up? Well, if you were to create a service, let's say you were to create a WordPress press blog mm-hmm. for uh, you know for some purpose, and you you found out that it's going to cost you five dollars a month, mm-hmm. and you would just approve it because that's a small cost. But what if? it instead cost you $50,000 a month and that was going to get billed towards your department and you as a logged in user within that pipeline or that infrastructure as a code would be actively responsible for uh, have created that resource. Mm -hmm. That makes it a completely different, different thing because now you have the responsibility of cost attached 
to whoever has done it at that current time. Mm-hmm. And I think there is some traceability that that can you All know, right. All right. So more from the accountability perspective and maybe automatically tagging resources from the get-go as a policy to be able to track costs, to, to, to have somebody accountable for that? Is that is that what you're suggesting? Well, I, I, I'm saying like uh, in, in, in relevance with Frederick's discussion of how do we become more sustainable, how do we mm-hmm. work more? Actually, the originating was Niklas, you know, fundamental. How do we visualize how much cloud we're actually using what's the measurement is it the lines of code the size of the amount of stuff that we use is it the cost is it the combination of all i of just this? wanted to quote uh, this man who said in a youtube video uh, uh, he was speaking about uh, docker containers in the cloud and, and he, he he just said that uh, uh, the cloud uh, uh, the program the software which calculates the bill for for the cloud uh, from the cloud provider if, if it's a large cloud provider he called that 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 software which calculates the customer bill that is the most complicated the software in the whole universe <laughs> well you know what i've never thought about it but that sounds about right <laughs> how many yeah. services does uh, amazon have today bastian in aws well, we are at uh, 200 plus fully featured services. And every single one of these costs money, I assume? Uh, th- it, it, let, let's, that's not absolutely correct because a lot of these services uh, don't cost money themselves. They you, uh, you pay for the underlying resources that you use, right? So uh, mm. it's... It, it's it's not like that. That, that, that. That's absolutely like that. But that can also contribute to you know you you're using service A, using service B and C under the hood. You pay for B and C. Um, exactly. Fair enough. Um, just like to move us on to uh, Frederick's question. Um, by all means, fire away. Yeah. Okay. So talking about a lot of technical things, I would like to be the the boring manager question here. But uh, <laughs> how? Or should the organization change in any way or form to adopt the ways of working when it comes to infrastructure as code? And I'm first of all, I'm saying this because we've seen the, what was it, back in 2009, the rise of DevOps. And then we saw other things coming along and organization have adopted and built teams. And then there were cloud teams and then there were this and that. Now, infrastructure as code, you could say that, well, it's just a, an extension of that. But um, since you are uh, very smart guys in, in this forum here today, if you would give an advice to a new organization that starts to adopt infrastructure as code, would you say that they need to change or set up a specific way of their organization and ways of working to, to get the benefits of this? I just want to say quickly that uh, I want to emphasize this, uh, perhaps the most of this whole, whole uh, meeting, that uh, make, make agreements between the teams and work on that and let that agreement take time and, and many meetings to make agreements between teams how they want to mer- how they want to work instead of uh, 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 all of a sudden they get a decision from upper management that this is the way to work and they were not part of that decision i've seen that too many times so uh, work with agreement between teams what are they they're comfortable with no matter how faster better stronger a new technology is if if the teams don't don't accept it don't know it um, um, it probably will not work, work better than agreements. I think that was a very, very good answer to that. <laughs> Bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's, uh, that's uh, uh, what Nicholas answered is spot on. And I think what's being done and what is a good way of making sure adoption is right is um, when you have technologies such as open source, which are free to use, and if the technology behind the free to use and open source stuff is of good quality, that usually creates an interest within uh, infrastructure people that aims to achieve a problem solution. That problem solution can many times be a desired state of an infrastructure. But if you have that open source and the knowledge sharing across and you are building a foundation of knowledge regarding a certain area of infrastructure as a code, it's a great time to take feedback from the the personnel that are working with those things to solve those problems in seeing if 
that can be solved by implementing solutions like that in a collaborative style and embedding that into a process. I think that's the way you should go. Um, because, I mean, to, let's be frankly honest, IT talent today is incredibly difficult to come by. If you don't get to work the way you want to work, have the type of laptop that you want to work with, if you work on a MacBook or a Surface, I don't know. Like, If you don't get to have your technological choices, both from a software, hardware perspective, many personnel probably look for other type of opportunities because everybody knows their strengths. They know what type of technology they like to work with. They know what type of software has good community and good information online, and they don't want to be uh, thrown away technology or hardware which they are not comfortable with even if learning is a big passion of theirs so i think that's spot on what nicholas said all right yeah i mean what, what i can add, add, add to that is maybe really just uh in the same direction break up silos uh get to a point where people not only get to use the tools that they want to use uh, like i can said but also uh, create a frustration free environment and infrastructure as code is something that enables change right it it, it optimizes for change um but if you have this blockers in between if you still have the ops department um, requiring manual improvement or the sec de department requiring manual improvement then you will create this frustration you will not you will not optimize for change so i think th those are the things that you need to work on in the company that's the cultural challenges embrace change top down hmm. i Interesting, Frederick. Have you got any comments to go back on that? <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can just say that uh, I've I've encountered them all, all the challenges uh, in, in <laughs> lines of works and, and so on. And of course, you always try to um, uh, to bring with you what to do better next time. And but of course, uh, it's as you said, it's it's culture. It's what people are comfortable with. This is just the technology we're talking about, or a tool rather to 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 maximize efficiency but but you need to be comfortable with it and break down these barriers but of course you could end up in your last example there bastian where where you do have a department where do where they still have a, a manual way of working or or what inspection of things mm -hmm. then you need to make these um agreements as as Tila said yes uh, come to terms with how do we work together Exactly. Because the tool and the technology is easy, but how we work with it and work with it together, that's the that's the challenge really with infrastructure as code. Exactly. Get everybody on board, right? Make everybody feel comfortable with the tools. Well, there's always going to be, uh, I don't really necessarily agree that everybody's going to be uh, happy because <laughs> that's usually not the case in many organizations. There's always some dissatisfaction with the choice of methods or ways of working. Uh, should you not embrace that change? Do you only want people to think in the same ways of collaboration? So I think uh, it's definitely a good thing that you have out-of-box thinkers and and parts of the organization that are not bound by the rules of um, squaring in and collaboration because that breeds innovation. 